Africa rise and shine Africa zoza Africa amka na unai Morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, UN Security Council calls for immediate ceasefire in South Sudan. A DRC rivals urged to implement December political agreement and Somalia's new president kicks off his state visit to Kenya. In economics news, Angola to settle Kwanzaa agreement earlier. And in sports news, South African sprinters prepare for World Relay Championships. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Close to 250 African migrants are feared to have drowned in the Mediterranean after a rescue boat found two partially submerged rubber dinghies of Libya. Laura Lenazu of Spanish charity Proactiva Open Arms says the boat recovered five floating corpses close to the dinghies. The bodies recovered were African men with estimated ages of between 16 and 25. Despite rough winter seas, migrant departures from Libya on boats chartered by people traffickers have accelerated in recent months from already record levels. An Egyptian court has ordered a renewed corruption probe into ousted President Hosni Mubarak, who has been cleared for release after almost six years in detention. The court ruling to reopen the investigation after it had been dropped would not affect a prosecution decision to release Mubarak after his acquittal in another case. Mubarak remains in a Cairo military hospital, the new investigation centers, around allegations that he, his wife, two sons and their wives received gifts from from the state-owned Al-Ahram newspaper valued at about 1 million US dollars. Judges and the International Criminal Court are expected to unveil the first compensation awards to victims of war crimes with lawyers estimating a 2003 attack on a Congolese village caused 16.4 million US dollars in damage. The order for reparations for 304 victims of former Congolese warlord Jamain Katanga is set to be a landmark step for the tribunal set up in 2002 to prosecute the world's worst crimes. Katanga was sentenced by the ICC to 12 years in jail in 2014 after being convicted of five charges of war crimes and crimes against humanity for the February 2003 ethnic attack on Bogoro village in Uturi province. 
The United Nations and its humanitarian partners have launched an appeal for 20 million US dollars to help address the devastating consequences of Cyclone Enau in Madagascar. The Category 4 cyclone struck the island off the southeast African coast earlier this month, causing extensive damage due to high winds and flooding. At least a quarter of a million people in the worsted areas need life-saving humanitarian assistance and protection in the storm's wake. Lucy Dean reports. UN Resident Coordinator in Madagascar, Violet Kakiomia, said staff were working closely with national and local authorities. According to the government, around half of the country's 22 regions have been hit, and up to 85% of subsistence crops in some areas were destroyed. The emergency funds would provide water, sanitation and hygiene for 168,000, as well as food assistance for 170,000. And finally, South African police have warned that the possession and distribution of child pornography is illegal. The warning comes after the mother of the child who appears in a self-made pornographic video, which went viral this week, decided to take steps to limit the damage it has caused. The 14-year-old child school is also counselling her. The girl allegedly took the video on a friend's phone, which was later seen and distributed by the friend's cousin. The child's mother, who has requested not to be named, says she is seeking counselling and is taking the matter to the police. South Africa's police spokesperson, Lady Mbombo, explains. Distribution of child pornography is against the law. People that are distributing it on social networks can be charged and they can be traced. Even secondary recipients can also be charged for distributing child pornography. They can be charged for public indecency. We are going to organize social workers for the young lady. Hopefully they will assist her. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Something is changing at Channel Africa. Could it be news? Could it be your favorite presenter? Could it be? That's for you, our listener, to find out. From the 1st of April 2017, something will be changing or happening on your radio station. Be the first one to find out by staying tuned in. Don't miss it. Remember to check our website and all social media platforms such as Twitter at Channel Africa One, our Facebook page and Instagram and YouTube. Former Botswana's President Fistas Mokhai has told the UN Security Council that there is a heightened sense of alarm that the situation in South Sudan is slipping out of control. He was speaking at a high-level session that saw the council adopt a presidential statement expressing deep concern at the failure of the parties to fully adhere to their commitment to implement a peace agreement and calling for an immediate ceasefire. Mokhai, as chair of the Joint Monitoring and 
Land Evaluation Commission also warned that parties to the agreement were failing in their basic duty to protect the South Sudanese people. Showing Bryce Peace has more from New York. Reports of the Secretary-General on the Sudan and South Sudan. The agenda is adopted. A conflict that is generating profound suffering. With famine declared in some regions, fighting continuing in others, hundreds of thousands remain in UN protection sites, while human rights have all but disappeared. Chairman Festus Mohai warned that political exclusion was at the root of the crisis. There is a heightened sense of alarm over the fact that the situation is slipping out of control. It is time now for the international community to condemn in the strongest possible terms the violence, the killings, the human rights abuses, and the destruction of homes. We must now stand together to do something about it. Mohai warned that since the split of the SPLM in opposition, two clear opposition factions have emerged. One loyal to former First Vice President Riek Mashar and excluded from all agreements, the other loyal to General Taban Dengai, who is cooperating with the government. And it's this lack of consensus that is making the dire humanitarian situation more acute, prospects for peace unattainable, and political leaders less credible by the day. In the interim, we must urgently look again at all possible practical measures that we can take to alleviate the desperate suffering that millions of people are facing every day. Women especially have suffered the greatest injustices and borne the greatest burden of the conflict. And all parties to the agreement are failing in their basic duty to protect the South Sudanese people. The Secretary-General Antonio Guterres believes the peace process is at a standstill. Despite the alarm sounded by the United Nations and international community over this crisis, the government has yet to express any meaningful concern or take any tangible steps to address the plight of its people. On the contrary, what we hear most often are denials, a refusal by the leadership to even acknowledge the crisis or to fulfill its responsibilities to end it. UN officials have indicated that the much-delayed deployment of a protection force to bolster the current peacekeeping apparatus would occur within the next few weeks. The Secretary-General says the optimism that accompanied the birth of South Sudan has been shattered. While President Kiir's statements regarding his intention to hold a national dialogue are welcome, they are not convincing in the context of ongoing hostilities, the absence of consultation with key stakeholders, the systematic curtailment of basic political freedoms and restrictions on humanitarian access and the growing fragmentation of, the sides, of both sides of the conflict. He told council not to underestimate South Sudan's trajectory where atrocity crimes are occurring with impunity and when even further deterioration remains real. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York. The security situation continues to deteriorate in the DRC central Kasai province due to the presence of the Kamwina Nzapu militiamen. Some of the Kasai people have told Channel Africa that the only way to solve the issue is for the government to exhume the body of traditional leader Kamwina Nzapu so that it can be buried according to the tribe's tradition. Januel Bamweze reports. 
Most of people in the province of central Kasai are blaming the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo to have failed finding a solution to the insecurity situation in that part of this country. They believe if authorities here would respect the Kamuinansapu tradition and culture, things wouldn't fall apart as this is the case now, after traditional leader Kamuinansapu was killed some months ago, his militia men have killed hundreds of people in and around the area. Some of the central Kasai people told Channel Africa what the community wants now is the government to unbury Kaminansapu's body and give it to them so that it can be buried according to the tradition. This teacher who didn't want to be named emphasized that each and every tribe of this country has its own tradition and culture. Kasai also has got its culture. We have traditional power. In all tradition, we have uh, our customs. We have our own way of burying chief of customs or the king. When a king dies, you have to leave the community to bury him according to their culture. So, but what has happened is the government has created a burgers king, a wrong king, instead of the right one. When they want to destroy a political party, they use a doubling of the same party. And they have done the same thing with that Kamuna Sapu issue. And today, to settle the issue, the community obliged the government to unbury the cops, give them uh, it back so that they can organize the funeral according to the tradition and the issue will be settled. Because if they continue with this wrong policy of creating problems, doubling kings in traditional power, we could leave the same problem in the future. All the areas of the central Kasai province have become too dangerous in terms of security due to repeated attacks that those Kamuin and Sapu militia men launch on daily basis since last August. The UN mission here in the DRC has deployed its forces in some of the central Kasai areas to back this country's national army, well known as Armed Forces of the Democratic Republic of Congo, FARDC, since December. Monusco has expressed the concerns about the situation and indeed the deputy command of the UN forces here, General Cummins, told the Channel Africa the UN mission will continue to support the national army and to protect the civilians. In this area, like we are in the others in this country where we have forces, we'll continue to contribute to create stability, to support the Congolese armed forces when needed. And as you know, we were not in Kasai for long. We just came back in Kasai just a few months ago, and I should say maybe a few weeks ago. So the situation remains unstable, it's clear, and we'll do our best to continue to contribute to stabilize and to create conditions for peace and stabilization to come back in that area. There is no other option than except carrying out our mandate, and our mandate is to protect civilians. So as long as we are in an area where we have civilians who are threatened, and as long as we have the information, we will protect them. First, preventing aggressions, preventing violence. And uh, when we are witnesses of a, a violence act, uh, we'll have to carry out the mandate, which is to protect civilians by all means. This statement has come out while the UN mission here is still busy, looking for two of its staff members who have gone missing since about two weeks in that part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Channel Africa Kinshasa, 
Jean Noel Bamweze. It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The only way of stemming the violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo is through political negotiation between government and opposition groups. This is according to the UN Special Representative of the Secretary General, Maman Siduku. Siduku, who is also the head of the UN mission in the country, has urged both parties to implement the Accord de la Saint-Silvestre, the agreement signed at the end of December last year, calls for President Joseph Kabila to stand down following elections which are expected to be held before the end of 2017. He explains. The only way out for Congo is a political solution. Congolese met, agreed on 31 December 2016 on what we call Accord de la Saint-Sylvestre. This Accord has to be implemented, essentially meaning that a prime minister to be appointed from the opposition that they agree on who is going to be minister, etc., government national unity, and that we move ahead towards elections by end of year. Election in which President Kabila cannot stand because he has run his two terms. Two, three days ago, rather on the 16th March, the dialogue that seemed to be in a lull has restarted. At least the powers that we are agreeing with that. Uh, secondly, the parliament met, the Senate met, and they said elections must be held, and we have to move ahead with this I have to be optimistic because that's the only way you, you can move ahead. As Congolese people want their elections, and the sooner the better. And I don't think a politician would play it safe by delaying it. I'm talking about all camps, not just only the presidential camp, but also the opposition, because they also have their divisions. Regarding the DRC, there are also different uh, challenges. Uh, I am talking about violation of uh, human rights and violences we can uh, now uh, observe in different parts of the country. Are, are you concerned about that? Very much so. Five days ago I was in Kasai, precisely where we had uh, serious allegations, including mass graves, including mass killings. And uh, I did write to the government, I sent them not verbal, asking them to investigate and thoroughly and quickly. They have started the investigation. I'm sure you heard that two days ago they arrested uh, seven soldiers, including two majors. So there is a process ongoing. We're going to work on that. And we are there to support. But, yes, between last year and this year, we've seen a sharp increase in human rights violations. Well, not only from uh, the government side, but also from, let's say, this uh, group, for example, in the Kasai, that is uh, recruiting children, 12 to 17, and sending them, I would say, to death. Because, you know, they're attacking symbols of a state, they're attacking churches, etc., etc. So we have to do something. And another main concern is about the social and the humanitarian situation. So how uh, MONUSCO can help? Well, how UN international community could help. For example, we have lots of uh, displaced population in Tanganyika, 100,000 plus, 200,000 plus in Kasai, just to name those two areas, because we also have, uh, you know, the backlog of before in North and South Kivu. But at the same time, resources are thin. We do need to have the support of the international community. But this is a country that has nine borders, including with countries that are not at peace, South Sudan, Sierra, still struggling. You have groups roaming, Alere. You have uh, Mbororo groups. So we do have security issues that are also compounding matters. I believe the region as a whole, ICGLR, but also SADC, have to come together and see how together they can also work with us to stem the rise of, of tension and conflicts that are creating this humanitarian crisis. That was Maman Siduku, UN Special Representative of the Secretary-General and Head of the UN Mission in the DRC, speaking to UN Radio's Jerome Longhi.
Change your game. Your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs, educates, and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Somalia's new president, Mohamed Famajo Mohamed, is in Kenya for an official visit. The first day of the visit has paved the way for crucial agreements with Kenya. James Shimangula reports. Kenya and Somalia have signed several crucial agreements following an official visit to the East African nation by the president of the Horn of African Nation of Somalia, Mohamed Famanjo. Good news, however, is that Kenya will now open two strategic sections of its border with Somalia to speed up entry and exit of people from the two neighboring countries. This was announced in Nairobi by Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta. Also, Kenya agreed to train 500 Somali government administrators as well as nurses and teachers. The first flight from the Kenyan capital Nairobi arrives in Somalia in the next two weeks. Let us hear more from the Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta. We agreed to take the following actions. Within the shortest possible time, open two border posts and to facilitate the movement, people, goods and services. Kenya committed to train within our institutions and at government cost, 200 teachers, 200 nurses, and 100 Somali administrators. We've also directed the security teams from both countries to meet immediately and agree on modalities of relaunching direct flights between Nairobi and Mogadishu, and this is to happen with the first flight being within two weeks. That was Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta. And on his part, Somalia President Mohamed Farmajo Mohamed saluted Kenya for cementing ties with Somalia. Kenya is one of the Somali's strongest allies and partners in East Africa. From hosting the largest number of Somali refugees for decades and contributing the peace building and stability in Somalia through AMSOM. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Kenyan government and the Kenyan people for the sacrifices they have made to help Somalia. Cooperation between our two great nations is necessary to combat the challenges we face, including terrorism and poverty. This state visit is a continuation of close cooperation between our two countries in security, investment and trade. Close economic cooperation between Somalia and Kenya will only will not only help to improve the lives 
of our millions of people, but also it will also enhance the security situation in East Africa. Therefore, my government is ready to work very closely with your government in the realization of full economic cooperation between our two nations. The voice of Somalia's new president, Mohamed Farmajo Mohamed, reporting for Channel Africa. This is James Shimanyula. Let's go back in time to today in the year 2002. At the 74th Academy Awards, Halle Berry became the first black actress to win an Oscar for a leading role for her work in Monsters Ball, while Denzel Washington became the second black actor after Sidney Poitier to win in the Best Actor category for Training Day. That was Today in History in the year 2002. It's 8.24 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Cowardly and despicable is how British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson described those who attacked London Day before yesterday, this as London's Metropolitan Police identified the assailant as 52-year-old Khalid Masood, who had a long criminal record but no terrorism connections. Four people died in twin attacks near the British Parliament precinct, while 40 were injured from 11 different countries. The ISIS group has claimed responsibility, but the links between the assailant and the group have yet to be properly vetted or established. Show and Bryce Peace reports. I now invite members of the Security Council to rise to observe a minute of silence in tribute to the memory of victims of yesterday's attack and to all other victims of terrorism across the world. While investigations continue in London, the country's chief diplomat was in New York on UN Security Council business. Boris Johnson led a moment of silence in the council before speaking to the press. There are victims in London from 11 nations, which goes to show that an attack on London is an attack on the world. And I can tell you from uh, my talks here in the United States with the uh, US government and with partners from around the world that the world is uniting to defeat the people. Uh, who launched this attack, and to to defeat their bankrupt and odious ideology. And I say that with confidence, because our values are superior. Our view of the world is better and more generous, and our will is stronger. The attacker who is among the deceased was British-born, with police revealing that there was no prior intelligence to link him to terrorist intent. Johnson said attacks on the British Parliament were nothing new. Our Houses of Parliament in London have been attacked for centuries by all sorts of people. But the ideas embodied in those buildings, in that palace of Westminster, freedom, democracy, the equality of human beings under the law, they are stronger than any adversary and they will prevail. And it is in that confidence that today uh, Londoners are going about their business as usual in the greatest city on earth. 
SABC News asked him where the British government found itself between two competing narratives that emerge when attacks like London happen. Listen. On the one hand, you have those who essentially don't want there to be any links to the Islamic world, to the Muslim world at all. And on the other hand, you have those that do want to have that link so as to justify their political ends, wherever those might be. Where does the British government find itself between those two narratives or, or quite frankly, otherwise? Well, I think that uh, what we... Uh, would say is that there is a, a bankrupt, odious ideology that seeks to twist and uh, to pervert uh, the Muslim religion uh, and uh, that they need to be treated as, as criminals. And we need to see the very clear link between uh, extremism of any kind and the propensity to commit terrorist acts. And uh, that is the approach we follow in the UK. Police have arrested eight people in six locations in London and Birmingham of the 40 injured, seven remain critical. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Change your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs, educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays. 1000 hours to 10:45 a.m. Central African time and on Saturdays 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance It's 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, more than 200 migrants are feared dead after two boats capsized and sank off the coast of Libya. Judges and the International Criminal Court are expected to unveil the first compensation awards to victims of war crimes, with lawyers estimating a 2003 attack on a Congolese village caused 16.4 million U.S. dollars in damage. And an Egyptian court has ordered a renewed corruption probe into ousted President Hosni Mubarak, who has been cleared for release after almost six years in detention. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you. And let's go back in time to today in 1993. South Africa's President F.W. de Klerk announces the existence of a South African nuclear program, as well as the fact that the apartheid regime had successfully constructed six indigenous nuclear devices. That was today in history in the year 1993.
Zimbabwe's Liberation War veterans have declared war against President Robert Mugabe over alleged non-adherence to the liberation struggle values. During a no-holds-barred meeting attended by nearly 4,000 veterans from across the country, Mugabe was accused of dining with the enemy and hence should not be voted for in 2018. Simon Muchema has more from Harare. As the 2018 polls draw nearer, 93-year-old President Robert Mugabe appeared to be more isolated with former World Liberation veterans vying for his blood. As if sensing danger, the Zimbabwean president snapped the meeting held in the capital on Thursday. It's no longer a secret. War veterans no longer want Mugabe in power, but they shocked the world last year by issuing a communique that distanced the ruling party's vanguard support from the world's oldest leader. Speaking to nearly 4,000 war veterans from across the country, Zimbabwe National Liberation Veterans Association Chairman Christopher Muchangwa urged his members to rally behind an acceptable candidate apart from Mugabe in the next elections. What is absent now in the Zimbabwean political scene is creative, creative political thinking to overcome problems. But the creative political thinking comes from here because it's, your, it's in your blood. You have done it before. You'll do it again. They should come and ask you what is creativity. They don't ask. reform the party in their name. We will not accept that. That's why we are saying the most powerful thing is the vote. Go back to the villages. Go back to the districts. Go back to the constituencies. Sit down with the people regardless of political affiliation, creed, religion, or whatever. Identify the most popular and capable person. Tommy ran my elections in 2018. We will not be bothered about political parties anymore. The red line has been drawn now. Is the war veterans leader Muchangwa denounced Mugabe? Mugabe never came to, to, to campaign in Zimbabwe before 79. But when the election came, he won. You had done it. On one hand, war veteran Secretary General Victor Matemadanda said Mugabe lost the plot when he personalized the struggle together with his outspoken wife, Grace. And we are never going to vote for someone's husband. We vote for a presidential candidate. But when that presidential candidate reduces himself or herself to a family level, then the power, the center is no longer holding. Joao says, Sekuruang. The other one says, my husband. And other people are saying, a corpse. Why should we have a country that can be played around like that? Matemadanda accused Mugabe for the current economic turmoil. And what persuasion do you want to be given? Zimbabwe is now suffering from leadership crisis. Who can be believed to vote for potwars, swimming pools in every road? Agrippa Mutambara, former Joyce Mujuru's deputy in the Splinter Zimbabwe People's First Party, formed after the outstar of the vice president, criticized Mugabe for his grip on the war veterans. I also believe the War Veterans Association should not be an appendage of a political power. The War Veterans Association should not be an appendage of ZANU-PF. The War Veterans Association should not be an appendage of ZAPU. The War Veterans Association should not be an appendage of Zimbabwe People First, uh, which 
I'm affiliated to. It is an association that represents the values that we fought for during our struggle. Former Liberation War Commander and Home Affairs Minister Andam Gabe, now President of ZAPU, expressed gratitude on what war veterans have now decided to do. My own concern has always been on the day they decide to call me to the heavens and I meet Josiah Tongokara, Mangena, Lookout Masugu, and they will say, you survived the war. You remained there with the rest of the other comrades. What did you people do when you realized things were going the right, wrong direction? What measures did you take to correct all that you saw was not going the right end? I will not have an answer. But today, if anything happened to me and they asked me that question, I think I'll be proud to report to them that at least there has been an attempt by those surviving comrades who were in Zipra and Zandla to put their heads together and to able to chart a way forward that will be able to get the people of Zimbabwe to the levels of development that we had wanted them to get to. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Let's go back in time to one year ago. A UN war crimes court convicted former Bosnian Serb leader Radovan Karadic of genocide and nine other charges for orchestrating a campaign of terror that left 100,000 people dead during the 1992-1995 war in Bosnia. Karadic was sentenced to 40 years in prison. That was today in history in the year 2016. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It was a day of laughter and some tears as the acting industry veterans took a trip down memory lane paying tribute to the late Joe Mafela. Old and young gathered at the Joburg Theatre for Mafela's memorial service. He has been described as a loving man who was passionate about his craft. The well-loved 75-year-old actor and musician died in a car crash last weekend. Paul Makubane has more. Actor, musician director, comedian, and all-round entertainer. These are some of the hats worn by the late Joe Mafela. His younger brother, Paul Mafela, who spoke emotionally about Joe, described him as a loving person. A person whom you'll never find angry at anyone at any given time. He was always jolly. I personally, I don't know because I was always with him. We used to travel together. We just prayed to God to guide us further since we, our leader in the family is no more there. While his son Jimmy, who says Mafela was a man of many talents, played drums in honor of his father. His acting career spans over five decades and Cynthia Shange played alongside him in a film, Deliwe, in 1974. He would say, fighting with Sidney Chama, 
who also wanted to be the Lewis boyfriend. When I met Joe, I discovered that I've met a very special somebody. After a while, he became my friend as I got closer to him. He became my brother. He was everything to me. If it's hectic, he will say, Then people will be looking which blue is dabuging now. That meant it's hectic. Creative director and producer Roberta Durant from Penguin Films worked with Mafela in a number of TV series, including Scoot is Nice and Going Up. You speak English. Of course I speak English. He says, of course he speaks English. Well, obviously he speaks English. Now look here, Mr. Casey. All I want to know is what did Mr. Johansson do to Mr. McKenzie? Durant could not hold back her emotions. You know, I've met a few magicians in my life. And Joe is one of them. He made magic. And I was a very fortunate to be able to share in a way a creative partnership with him. Joe was, he was um, an incredible person. And he was able to play these characters of Stumo and then Jabu and Wonky Wonky because he knew people and he knew the man on the street and he always had time for everybody. You know, he never, with all his celebrity at the height of his career, he never ever didn't stop to greet and meet people. But Mafela found his way into the hearts of many South Africans through his character Stumo on Scoot is Nice. <laughs> Don Mlangeni played Lakasha, the debt collector, alongside Mafela on Scoot is Nice. I went to Penguin Films and I was cast for Ugzala or Benny the Leg. Originally the character was Benny the Leg and then they changed the name to Lakash. I was just a small fry. I was so f- scared. But he humbled himself and we worked together. A role that later saw Mafela as the face of Chicken Licken. <laughs> it's good, 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 it's good, it's nice. <laughs> Abigail Kubeka met Mafela in the 1950s and worked alongside him in Going Up, and now recently in the SAPC One Soapy, Generations of the Legacy. A friend to everyone. He had this warmth with him, and he was such a good listener, Ujo. You could talk to Joe about anything. I'm sure all of us have learned a lot from Joe. He was a teacher. I said that, oh, he has a little in first part. Let's just celebrate him. Let's just love and enjoy him and love him because that's all he wants. He wants us to love him forever. I'm a gugu alelizwe ayosale matuneni While poet Don Matera 
who is also part of the Living Legends legacy, honored Mafela in the best way he knows how. Joe, it was good and nice when you were born. Good and nice to be an African child with good and nice dreams in a country with bad laws that cause pain and suffering. But you survived, Joe, and that was good and nice. His family took to the stage to dance to Mafela's hit song, Kongo, getting mourners off their feet, dancing and singing along. His funeral service will be held next Wednesday at the University of Johannesburg's Soweto campus from 9 in the morning till midday. Pearl Makobane, Johannesburg. Something is changing at Channel Africa. Could it be news? Could it be your favorite presenter? Could it be? That's for you, our listener, to find out. From the 1st of April 2017, something will be changing or happening on your radio station. Be the first one to find out by staying tuned in. Don't miss it. Remember to check our website and all social media platforms such as Twitter at Channel Africa One, our Facebook page and Instagram and YouTube. I'm Tabi Solohogo with an economics update. Good morning. Acting CEO of South Africa's power utility, Machila Koko, has confirmed that Eskom signed a new five-year electricity sales agreement with neighboring Namibia. Eskom has struggled to meet power demand in South Africa in the past due to its aging infrastructure. The deal with Manpower was signed on the sidelines of the Southern African Power Pool meeting in Lesotho capital, Maseru. Koko explains. Here, ESCOM is committing to a five-year firm deal to the people of Namibia. We are open for business. On every single day, remember, we have over 4,000 megawatts of surplus capacity at peak, and here we are sharing it with the people of the region. That's quite important. We are indeed open for business. Load shedding is no more. It's no longer in our lingo. We want people to come. We want all those business activities that withdrew because we could not supply them with reliable electricity and firm power to come back. It's a change. It's a new order. The Namibian and Angolan Reserve Banks have agreed to shorten the repayment timeframe of a currency exchange agreement with the last payment scheduled for June 2018. The Bank of Namibia and Banco Nacional de Angola entered into an agreement on June the 18th, 2015. This was uh, to allow the exchange of the Angolan Kwanza for Namibia dollar at Oshikango in northern Namibia. 
The gap between what traders bid and offer for Nigeria's Nara on the black market has widened following a series of central bank interventions on the official market. Traders are trying to hedge against losses after the currency firmed sharply during the previous session. The central bank has been intervening on the official market in recent weeks to narrow the official currency spread with the black market rate. BMW South Africa will invest in a new regional distribution center and the expansion of its Midrand headquarters north of Joburg over the next two years. The company has had presence in South Africa for 44 years now. The investment project will be multi-phased, starting with the construction of the new center at the Waterfall Distribution Campus this month. The Capital Market Authority of Rwanda is optimistic the local boss will rebound following back-to-back decline in performance over the past two years. According to the Rwanda Stock Exchange Annual Report for 2016, the Rwanda share index for domestic counters dropped to 119.91 points in 2016, down from 146.89 points recorded in 2015. This was largely driven by a drop in share value of all the three local counters over the past year. Now, the all-share index that includes all listed firms on the local exchange declined from 13.61 points in uh, 2015 to 127.26 points last year. The U.S. dollar trades at 12.52 in South Africa, 10.07 in Botswana, 9.51 in Zambia. It's trading at 8.0 to the British pound, 9.2 to the euro. Gold, $1,249. Platinum, $966 an ounce. Brand crude oil, $50.36 a barrel. Africa rise and shine. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour is athletics. There continues to be doubts about whether Athletics South Africa, ASA, will send a strong team to the IWAF World Relays in Bahamas next month. Earlier this year, ASA announced that they would be sending a team to Bahamas, but now the challenge is that this event is clashing with the South African Senior National Championships in Pochef's Room from the 21st to the 22nd of next month. The national men's 4x100 meter relay team produced a show at the final and fourth leg of the Speed Series event in Jamestown, but both Akani Simbini and Henrico Branches seem to have made up their minds. For me personally, um, I'm sure that everybody knows that What I've decided to do for nationals, you know, I've decided on staying in South Africa and competing in nationals because I feel like I owe it to the locals to watch us race and actually give us and we give them a good time. You know, we have a vast amount of athletes that are running really really quick, and for me personally, I feel like we need to be here and give them the show that they deserve. You know, we always watching the the United States trials, the UK trials, or the trials in Jamaica, and we just like ah. Those guys are running fast, but then now we've actually got athletes that are running really fast and they can bring that excitement to the track. So for me, I just hope that we all make our personal decisions, but let's give South Africa a good show to watch at SS.
Brinkis is the national 100-meter champion, and Simbine, a national record holder with a total of 10 sub-10s in the last three years. It was a showdown between the two last year in Stellenbosch and Brinkis won over Simbine, who was suffering from a hamstring injury and is also determined to defend his title. Like, like, um, I, uh, I want to say, like, like all the presidents, man. Every year you want to be re-elected, man. So I want to go out and my title. <laughs> yes, what's up? I want to go out and defend my title again. Yeah, definitely. And running against Akani, I know, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that say, nah, you know, he was, he was good. He was beating people by 15 meters, 10 meters, whatever. I want to be the guy that say, okay, he was running uh, amongst those guys, the great guys, in order for me to be great, you know. So for me, it's just a privilege to be amongst those guys and to run against this guy. No matter who wins, it's just a privilege for me to run um, with the guys. And South Africa takes on Guinea-Bissau on Saturday at uh, Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban. And on the field, coach of Bafana, Owen Dagama, says it has been a fantastic week of preparation for his squad as they prepare to face a largely unknown Guinea-Bissau at Moses Mabida Stadium. Uh, they just uh, arrived yesterday. Um, we just received the... Um you know, the squad that they've uh, got, they've, they've come with a very, very good squad. I think Guinea-Bissau is one of the, the countries that are really, they want to prove that they are going places, that they are in resurgence. And, um, they, you know, they're trying to make a name for themselves. I think they caught a lot of people by surprise in the AFCON for the performances. Um, and uh, they want people to take note of them. That's, that's the impression we get. So I, th- I think they, they, they've come to do the business here. They, you know, they, they're not going to be pushovers. Um, as as high as as low as their ranking is, I think they they really mean business. And you can never, in, in my experience, uh, being part of Bafana, you can never underestimate any African country. Um, I think they're not going to be pushovers. They're going to they, they're going to come at us big time. And in tennis news, with both players on form, but heading into a tournament where they have experienced little success in the past, Stan Vavringa and Juan Martin Del Bodro are looking to make an impact at this week's Miami Open. World number three, Vavringa believes the form that took him all the way to the final of Indian Wells last weekend, where he was defeated by compatriot Roger Federer, puts him in good stead, heading into Miami. Uh, so far, I never play well. Uh, I never find any any uh, way to play my best tennis. Uh, hopefully, this year I can change, especially by playing well. Uh, last week, uh, if I'm fit and ready, hopefully I can play some good tennis. But uh, as you see, it's a strong field, a strong tournament. You need to be ready from the first match, and I'm going to try to to do better this year. Another player who has struggled in the past in Miami is Argentine Del Potro. The world number 34 is on the comeback trail following a succession of injuries and has recently recorded some high-profile victories over world number two, Novak Djokovic. He's also not held by a difficult draw that could see him face world number six and red-hot Federer in the fourth round. My game is, is getting better after every week and of course it's uh, always a, an honor to play with the, with the top guys of this sport, but... I will. I would like to play in finals, in not in, in seconds or third rounds. But, but I think I can change this if I grow up in the ranking. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine.
Afrika Zola Afrika amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa UN Security Council calls for immediate ceasefire in South Sudan DRC rivals urge to implement December political agreement and Somalia's new president kicks off his state visit to Kenya. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today and for the week. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Khomuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to southern africa is mrosa with a song title sobula lufandam Oh, I'm 
Yeah, no, but now it's up, I'm gonna die, it's up, I'm gonna go, so it's just...